Hi, I'm Carly Squires and welcome to Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from World Animal Protection. For the last six weeks, I've been joined by a panel of experts discussing the biggest issues affecting animals right now, how they affect people and the planet, and what we can all do to help make a difference. This week, we'll be taking a listen back at series one and unpicking the key things we have learned. Plus, we'll remind ourselves the small but fundamental things we can all do to help make a difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, we'd love you to review the show. It's great feedback for us and helps other people find the podcast. Just click on the review section wherever you listen to the podcast. So, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Back in episode one, our very first guest was Steve McIver, World Animal Protection's CEO. In this episode, Steve introduced us to World Animal Protection and what animal welfare actually means. I remember learning so much from Steve, particularly about how much animals feel and the range of emotions they have. It turns out they're far more sentient than many of us realize. Hi, I'm Kai Squires and welcome to the first edition of Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from World Animal Protection. Each week I'll be joined by a panel of experts as we discuss the biggest issues affecting animals right now and how they affect people and the planet too. To launch the podcast, I am joined by World Animal Protection CEO Steve McIver to discuss the pressing issue of our time, animal welfare. Our growing population, urbanisation and increasing wealth are driving demand in systems that commodify and exploit animals. If left unchecked, this worldwide problem will only continue to grow. However, over the next 10 years, we can combat climate change, protect the world's richest wildlife habitats and end the vast scale of animal suffering before we reach the point of no return. Thank you so much for joining me on Animals Are Calling. It's honestly a pleasure to have you here. Let's start by talking about animal welfare. Basically, I would like to know, in your opinion, what does that mean? Because it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but I think it just needs a definition. Yeah, you know, I always start um, looking at animals through the eyes of animals rather than taking a human-centric view. So very often as as human beings, we just look at everything else in the world and go, what does it mean to us? What value does it have um, to us? Whereas I think the question should be the other way around. You know, um, know, what matters to an animal? What experiences uh, do they have? Um, And um, I guess if we look at it from an animal's point of view, we talk about it as sentience. and sentience is, so is an animal or is anything sentient? Um, human beings supposedly are. I'm not so sure that all of us um, quite have that capacity given some of the decisions we make around our planet. But sentience is the capacity to experience feelings, um, you know, neg- and have negative or, or, or positive, you know, emotions, if you like. As you all know, each week I ask our guests to suggest a number of ways in which we can all make a difference in our daily lives to help animals across the world. 
Steve's suggestion was not something I'd ever thought about, but was really interesting. So I, I think when it comes to how you invest your money, you really need to think about who you bank with, um, what sort of bank account um, you want to hold. Uh, is it a, a more ethical one or not? Um, and many banks now will provide ethical options. Probably even more important um, is your pension fund. Um, pension funds are investing huge amounts into land clearance uh, in places like uh, Amazonia. They're funding industrial farms. So uh, go with an ethical pension fund. And most providers, uh, even the well-known ones, will offer an ethical uh, option or, or more than one ethical option. Or there are others like... Um, you know, specialist, uh, you know, uh, providers, uh, banks like Triodos Bank in the UK, for instance, that are specialist ethical funds. So do a bit of research and you can, you can easily put your money to good use. In episode two, we caught up with Global Programme Director of Farming, Mark Deere, where we discussed factory farming and how we can all ensure that there is no future for that industry. Mark told me all about the horrific conditions that animals are left in in factory farms. And it was really shocking to hear about how vastly different they are to what we imagine farms to look like. When I was, when I was younger, uh, the advertising for products like meat products or, or milk, they would portray a farm as something that has green grass, you know, the sun shining, there's a tree and animals in the field. But the reality is quite different. Um, these places are really factories. They really look like factories. They're, they're big sheds. Uh, the last time I went into a facility was a chicken farm, uh, if I could even call it um, a farm in that sense, uh, based on what I understand of what a farm should be. And um, you don't have farmers in there. You have workers. Um, and in this place, it's a long shed with 20, 30,000 chickens uh, in one space. Uh, they don't even see sunlight. Uh, the air is artificial. It's, it's, uh, it's pumped in. Uh, the feeding system is all automated. Um, and, you know, the, the worker would come in uh, a couple of times a day just to check on things. But um, really, it's, it's, it's really just a factory there. there there's no sense of an individual animal uh, and there's no opportunity for these animals to um, express natural behavior and, and and chickens pigs they're all intelligent they're sentient they um uh, they have feelings and um it's, it's just not happening for them uh, all throughout their lives in in these factory farms so in order to help eliminate factory farming what would you suggest that the everyday person could do you know the, the interesting thing we have a saying uh, where i come from um, is that um, the way to someone's heart is through their stomach, really. Everybody needs to eat. Uh, we all eat. We eat every day. It's, uh, it's a part of life. It's like it's, it's breathing, it's drinking water, and it's eating. It's a fundamental thing we do on a daily basis. And for everyone to make those choices on what they eat, where they source it, is one of the biggest things that they can do. I would, I would, um, I would uh, recommend and I would uh, encourage people to, for those that do eat meat today, eat less. Maybe um, have one or two days in the week wherein you're going to try something new and um, 
maybe eat more of a plant-based diet. Um, aside from that, I would uh, recommend and I would encourage people to support their local uh, food production, their local farming. You know, there's, uh, the world has changed today. There is now access to different types of uh, products that you can get online uh, and you could support local communities around you uh, that grow uh, food for, you know, a, a limited um, number of people. Support them. Uh, try to support those markets. A lot of the food coming from groceries, you, you, you probably have seen it already. You see a piece of fruit that took a couple of thousand kilometers to get to your grocery shelf. That's not sustainable either. So I think you, um, you know, just eat local, support local, eat less meat, uh, uh, try out new plant-based foods. Um, and of course, be aware. Um, there, there, this, it's so easy to get information nowadays. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of information and um, uh, keep yourself informed. Next up is episode three, where I discuss the cruel global wildlife trade with James Royston, Head of External Affairs, and Gilbert Sape, Global Head of the Campaign for Wildlife, Not Medicine. It was fascinating to find out how widespread the wildlife trade is around the world, including my home in the UK, and just how global leaders are necessary in stopping the cruelty. Wild animals are exploited in different ways, uh, one of which is through entertainment. Uh, so if you go to Thailand, for example, you will see elephants doing shows or you can ride them. Uh, you can see tigers in captivity in different venues. You can see monkeys as well. So this is like one set of animals used in entertainment. Oh, I must also mention dolphins, you know, because it's really a big uh, thriving industry in, in, in many uh, parts of the globe. And then you also have animals that are used for traditional medicines, uh, such as bears and tigers also, and lions. So uh, their parts and derivatives are used for different purposes, like a panacea. They, they believe it can cure cancer, um, it can cure asthma or whatever, skin diseases, name it. And they, there's always a wild animal that is used for that purpose. Uh, the wild animals are also exploited through fashion, you know, so you can see uh, crocodile skin, you know, being used as, as handbags. You can see uh, fur, uh, you know, being, um, being produced, being farmed, you know, and, and I should mention that uh, when we talk about exploitation, we always look at Asia or Africa as a place where they exploit wild animals, but actually the EU is one of the biggest producer of mink, farm on mink fur you know and and also fox uh, fur so yeah it's, it's one of the biggest uh, producer of, 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 of this type of, uh, of fashion and then yeah you also have um, wild animals used as pets such as gray parrots uh, big cats which is very common in in in, in the middle east you know and other regions so i think uh, wild animals are exploited in different ways in different regions um, yeah, sadly, that's the state of, of, of wild animals at the moment. We've talked about in this podcast how we need to tackle um, the wildlife trade on a bigger scale, which is about approaching those in power that can make change, about uniting um, different countries across the globe and uniting um, in favour of animals. However, there'll be people like me, the listeners, that want to know what 
things we can do on a, potentially a smaller scale to help? I think one of the first things I would say is if you if you care about this issue, let people know, and, and particularly your elected representatives or your, your representatives in, in government, and let them know what you think they can they can do about it. And we're very often asking our supporters to, to help help make noise. Um, I will certainly be continuing to, to do that at, at relevant moments. In episode four, we sat down with the Head of Campaign Programmes for Animals and Farming, Jacqueline Mills, and Global Animal Welfare Advisor, Roberto Vietto, to discuss how the biggest issues affecting animals are interconnected and how every human action has a consequence. For me, it was really interesting to learn that even the smallest decisions we make, such as eating meat, can contribute to the burning of wild habitats and its animals in Brazil. I guess when we look at this issue, Sometimes we think it's all about, you know, the soy milk in our coffee, our soy latte, something like that. But I think when Roberto talks about soy being planted to feed farmed animals, people don't know that, you know, more than three quarters of soy that's planted actually goes to those animals on factory farms. So it's really, again, that factory farming that's driving the destruction there. we do need to be mindful that when those habitats are burnt, we lose um, homes for wild animals and they suffer terribly. So for us, um, it's not just about whether the wild animals are endangered. We believe that all wild animals deserve to live freely in the wild and that's so important for us. So at World Animal Protection, we've been um, working on the ground with a local partner to go in and to help animals that are caught up in those fires, the fires that are being driven by the growth of factory farming. And Roberto can give a lot more details because he's been there on the ground. But this is about providing veterinary equipment. Um, It's providing support on the ground. Uh, It's helping those animals the best way that we can. Equally, we need to address the root cause of the issue. So the work that I do involves colleagues right around the world uh, addressing animal welfare on factory farms, trying to raise standards. But also what we want to see is a transformation of the food system. We want to see less meat and more plants. And we want to see remaining farmed animals in in good welfare, not on factory farms anymore. Like Jackie mentioned, we were in the ground and I believe it's useful to share with you all what we witness in this field. As the listeners, we want to be able to achieve great things we want to be able to help the animals we want to be able to help the planet we want to be able to help ourselves uh roberto could you start us off um i would love just one or two suggestions for things our listeners can do to help sure well first of all i will invite everybody to look at our website and understand a little bit better what is going on with those fires in that emergency in brazil so they can understand what is the level of animal impact that some human activities are causing. But I think that in general is the reflection about, you know, being curious and getting informed about what kind of products they are buying. What is the whole, how does the whole change of productivity looks like? Because if people have access to, you know, to understand how things are produced, especially when we're talking about 
animal-based uh, products, they can change <laughs> their decision and they can, they can reflect on how to look for more ethical and sustainable products. And of course, alternatives that, that maybe don't rely only in the use of animals and look for more plant-based um, uh, products. But I think that in general is the reflection to be more curious and, and demand from their companies more transparency of how these products are made and what are the implications of that, of that production. episode 5, we sat down with US Programs Director Cameron Harsh and Global Campaign Manager for Animals and Farming Vince Sinches to discuss how reducing your meat intake can truly make a difference to animals and the environment. I was really surprised to learn that meat consumption is on the rise, especially considering that there are so many plant-based alternatives available now. I think one reason that meat consumption is still going up in the United States and it's estimated that the average person consumes about 264 pounds of meat each year um, is largely due because production of meat continues to grow in the United States as well. And that's largely due to government programs that offer cost offsets and financial incentives to the meat industry to continue to grow. Um, and the industry is incentivized to continue to expand. And then our government also helps market that meat to people, um, advertising beef and chicken and dairy products to people um, and the importance of it in their daily lives and that messaging that people hear. And so we do still have this cultural idea in the United States that, that meat is vital and meat is a part of every meal. Um, as And at the same time, as economics change in our country and income goes up for individuals, they are seeing different types of meat as status symbols and, you know, expensive cuts of meat as things to pursue. Um, so it really is about, from our mind, really raising awareness about not only the availability of these alternatives that are increasing in the market, but the importance to public health, to climate, to animal welfare, to all these issues that people already care about, um, that meat reduction helps to achieve. Um, and, uh, kind of increasing awareness that meat does not have to be a part of every single meal. It does not need to be this center of the plate. It is something that, that we can rebalance. There's a number of ways to, to help in our meat reduction campaign. I think one great way is to change that individual behavior, sign up for our meeting halfway campaign and look at what you can do in your daily life to reduce the amount of meat and increase your consumption of plant-based foods. We also have a number of actions targeting restaurant chains like Dunkin' um, and other chains of that nature that you can send them an email, let them know positively that you'd like plant-based menu items on their menus uh, when you patronize their restaurants and help us pitch this movement to restaurant chains. Fantastic. And Vince, have you got um, any other ideas you'd like to share as well? Yeah, uh, just, just basing for my experience for, for any for countries that we don't have an office uh, for World Animal Protection. And I think it's important for us to, uh, to start our own community, to start talking about it. Um, we can even, you know, uh, we can calculate our menu and we can take out uh, some meat from, from our daily intake. And then that's, that's one way of reducing our 
um, our meat consumption. And, and, and I do agree that it's important for us to, to create communities. We can even start uh, uh, writing, sending letters to our, to our government and to our favorite fast food restaurants. We, we can join campaigns as started by local organizations like against KFC or uh, and then talking to our uh, influencers uh, about this. Cameron, uh, do you have a favorite or a funny animal fact you'd like to share with us? I would say just one of my favorite facts about animals is how intelligent pigs are and how they can beat some humans at video games. Um, so, I mean, I'm terrible at video games anyway, so I imagine most pigs would be able to beat me, but it's it's a great, great fact. You know what? Like Anyone that's listened to all of these podcasts will know that I'm a huge pig fan, um, and so I'm totally on the same page as you, especially since I'm also terrible at video games. So perhaps two of us could beat a pig. I'm not 100% sure, but... We could give it a go. I'm, I'm not confident. <laughs> in our sixth episode, we spoke with network manager for Animals in the Wild, Eugenia Morales, and campaign manager Morva George, where we talked about how dolphins are cruelly treated within the tourism industry and how each one of us can play a part in securing them a better future. I've always been enthralled by the portrayal of a dolphin's so-called smile, and so was keen to hear about this from the experts. I think one of the very sad things about dolphins is that they have a particular morphology of their jaw, which makes it look as though they are smiling. And the captive dolphin industry has really played on that to um, create this very sort of happy family joyful theme around going to swim with a dolphin in captivity. Dolphins in captivity um, will be put in a, in a situation where they have no um, other option but to interact with with humans. They will, they will be trained sometimes through food deprivation in order to perform and interact with humans. It's not a um, a, a natural thing for for a dolphin to do. One thing we've often heard about the people who are behind um, captive venues or dolphinariums and that sort of thing is the that you see the dolphins doing these jumps and things that you also see them doing in the wild. So that that might mean they are happy and that might mean it's natural behavior. But one thing we have to remember is the reason they're doing that in the dolphinarium is because if they don't do that, they won't get food. If they do it in the wild, it's because they want to. And that choice, that that their their willingness to choose whether to do it or not, is the difference between them being in 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 their natural habitat, being happy, doing their natural behavior, and actually doing tricks for food and and being um, being trapped in for for their entire lives in a as more of a set in a very very small setting compared to what they were encounter in the ocean so that's an argument we often hear and it's it it's again they're not smiling they're not happy they are they're captive they don't have a choice on animals are calling we obviously like to expose the truth and reality of what animals go through day on day but we also like to focus on looking forward and how we can make a change so I wanted to start off by saying a big congratulations to both of you because I know this month you've had some exciting news um Morva I don't know if you'd like to share that with our listeners yeah so we've been campaigning for a few years now 
um, asking Expedia Group, one of the world's largest travel companies, to um, stop selling captive dolphin entertainment. And they finally agreed. So it's taken them a while, um, but we are absolutely delighted that they've decided to remove um, captive dolphin entertainment from their offers. That's fantastic news. I'm just going to do a little clap because that is amazing. Um, and it just goes to show as well, sometimes you feel like you're not making a difference. Like two years is a long time to spend on a campaign, but you you both did it and the rest of the team at World Animal Protection. Yeah, thanks, Carly. But, you know, we've had so much support for this campaign. Over 350,000 people um, signed a petition and so many people have actually taken, so many of our supporters have taken these these actions for us, calling out Expedia online. Um, and they've followed us throughout this campaign and they've been the ones who have actually really um, created this change. You know, Expedia has listened to people pressure in this case and people power and, you know, we're just absolutely, we're absolutely delighted, but we couldn't have done it without, you know, the amount of support that, that we've seen for this campaign. That's it for this episode and indeed this series. Many thanks to all of our guests who have joined me over series one. It's been such a blast. Stay tuned for a bonus episode, which is coming very soon. A reminder, we would love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us with any questions or comments on our social channels. Just search for World Animal Protection on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Animals Are Calling is a podcast from World Animal Protection. It's produced and mixed by Johnny Bunyan for Pardon Our French. My thanks to Kristen Hegley, who has compiled today's episode. The executive producer is Emmy Kondo. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.